The Chaser Report is recorded on Gadigal land. Striving for mediocrity in a world of excellence, this is The Chaser Report. Hello and welcome to The Chaser Report with Dom and Charles. But no Charles today, instead we have someone who knows what they're talking about. It is John Delmenico, editor of The Chaser, who's jumped in while Charles is on the way to Adelaide to do that wankonomic show thing that he's doing. And John, you have subjected yourself to Nemesis, the ABC series about the... Abbott, Turnbull, Morrison, years. Welcome. I'm so glad you survived. Thank you. Yeah, I thought the one thing that I needed more of in my life was Scott Morrison, Malcolm Turnbull, and Tony Abbott. And so now I can share it to everyone else who is smart enough to not put themselves through that. Yeah, because, I mean, Malcolm Turnbull regularly comments on anything. that Any time you want to comment, you just go to Malcolm Turnbull. But Scott Morrison uh, has been pretty quiet since announcing he's buggering off uh, to the States. And Tony Abbott, let me get this straight, John, didn't even want to comment on this? Didn't he want to settle any scores? What's wrong with the man? Yeah, it was a weird choice. For some reason, he didn't want to get interviewed and then have his version of events directly compared to everyone else's version of events. Right. I'm really surprised. Did they get Peter Credlin? Uh, No, the real leader of the Liberal Party at the time did not show up. Yeah, no, that's really surprising. She's commented on it extensively in other media, um, but very odd that the Shadow Prime Minister didn't want to set her record straight. Australia's second female Prime Minister, from what I understand, John. Yeah, that was a main focus of the Tony Abbott era. Okay, well let's uh, dive into all the gems that you've unearthed for us. I know you've got a whole bag of audio to play back so if you haven't watched Nemesis, and I'm in that category I have to confess, although I'm sure I will in due course, uh, stand back because John has the highlights right after this. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Okay, John, so where does our story begin? All right, first, I want to say that this show was the peak of journalism meeting en- entertainment. Really? Now, some, have cla- some have claimed that the journalism fell to the wayside and the entertainment also fell to the wayside. <laughs> but I think there's nowhere else we can find scoops like this one. I walk in the door and uh, I look at Pete and he said, mate, do you want something to eat? And I said, oh, mate, that'd be fantastic. He goes, there's some tuna mornay there. Tuna mornay. I hate tuna. So I said to him, mate, you know what? I might order some pizzas as well. What about that? Didn't want to offend him, of course, but like, I just can't do tuna. Oh, John, that's extraordinary. That a, a, a division over tuna mornay in the in the coalition. Where else would you hear about the the intricate details of the food being eaten while planning a spill than in this show? I mean, sure, the show didn't get into mentioning anything about like any of the rorts, the defamation suits, the prayer room, the drought relief water that didn't exist, or anything to do with like Scott Morrison's beef with Grace Tame. But they got to the real issue of the tuna mornay. So there was no side eye, but there was a bit of a stink out of the tuna. Yeah, the tuna got about as much airtime as Brittany Higgins. Wow, okay. So who are we hearing from then? I can't remember his name because I wrote down, I realised I wrote down the wrong politician, but it was one of the backbenchers who helped Tony Abbott and Scott Morrison. Oh, sorry. Scott Morrison and Malcolm Turnbull organised the spill against Tony Abbott. Was it Craig Laundie? It sounded a little bit Laundie-esque. 
Maybe. Sound like someone who's own, who owns pubs, basically. So not only do we get great scoops like that, we also get great analysis from people who are inside the rooms at the time. Like the fact that basically every politician agrees on one thing, which is that they didn't make mistakes. And if there were hypothetical mistakes, it wasn't their fault. Great. Barnaby Joyce gave us some real insight into how intelligence works. My personal views is people have three quadrants of their brain. They have academic intelligence, social intelligence, and sporting intelligence. Uh- did he just say three quadrants? Yeah, three quadrants. Quadrants famously a division into four. I don't know what part of which of the three quadrants caused him to think that there was three quadrants. Yeah. Is there a fourth <laughs> quadrant called alcohol? Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> well, did he give the interview from the planter box? Because that would have been very on message for this week. No, I, th- I, I think he might have done this while he was having the medication and just before he had the alcohol with him. Amazing. So, I mean, that's relatively lucid for Barnaby. I, I love that. Yeah. I love that sporting intelligence is like up there with everything else. Anyway, so there you go. That's um. There was was one thing with Barnaby that I wanted to clip up, but it genuinely would have just taken up too long for a podcast. Oh, yeah. Which was at the start of every episode, they would be like, oh, give us a one-word description of the of the Prime Minister. And he would just give a full sentence, but he would just try to... He would, like, halfway through realise he's supposed to give a word, so then he would speed up the rest of the sentence. <laughs> he's not so a he's man. Like, oh. You can't tell Barnaby what to say. People have tried for many, many years. You can't... I love that they went, okay, let's ask him just for a one-word uh, answer because yeah. they probably knew that would give them like it'd be only five or six minutes the answer if he did, if they did that the show itself just like brains split up into three quadrants <laughs> That's it. they well started with Tony, they started with Tony Abbott then they went to Turnbull and Morrison so let's start with the Abbott episode yes yeah, so there's one episode per prime minister I guess so like we said earlier Tony Abbott refused to show up so we didn't get to hear his perspective on how things went down that's a real shame. Yeah, I, I mean, I miss Tony, but however, we did lo- get amazing insights from other people like this one. He didn't welcome my inquiries. What did he say? He generally told me to fuck off. Possibly not the first time Malcolm Turnbull's been told to fuck off uh, during his long career in business and politics, John. No, and... To be honest with you, I now think Tony Abbott made the definite right call not to show up because all we get is him telling t- t- Malcolm Turnbull to fuck off, which makes him look great. I remember um, hearing a lot of stories about when Brendan Nelson was opposition leader. Do you remember that before before Turnbull's first time in the job? Uh, it was right after Kevin Rudd won, John Howard lost his seat, and they went with Brendan Nelson, the former health minister, as their leader. And apparently uh, Turnbull was in there basically constantly going, Brendan, Brendan, you're, you're hopeless, you're stuffing it up. And the problem with Brendan Nelson was he didn't tell uh, Turnbull to fuck off. So he didn't get to be prime minister. He just basically s- fell out of politics a few months later. Yeah, they did reveal that in the spill motion... The last signature for Turnbull's one had um, underneath it for Brendan Nelson. Oh, one person (laughs) remembered Brendan. Yeah, someone held on to that grudge for years and a whole other leader in between them and just used that as the last knife. That's extraordinary. Okay, I would love to know who that was. Anyway, the ghost of Brendan Nelson uh, remembered by one person in the party room. But of course, um, there was the main shocking revelation that was most of the episode that Peter Credlin secretly ran the show. No. I know, shocking. And that the attempt to make the public think that Peter Credlin was no longer running the show after the empty chair spill was also just Peter Credlin again. (laughs) 
that all the meetings that they're having with the backbenchers to be like, oh, we're bringing in the whole party now, that all those meetings were orchestrated by Peter Credlin and she was the chair of those meetings. Right. So when we were talking about Peter Credlin being the real prime minister during the Abbott years, that was not an exaggeration. That was actually entirely confirmed by Nemesis. Yeah. They even acknowledged that like she would apparently yell at the backbenchers to stay in their place, despite the fact that she was not in her place. That's extraordinary. Well, I mean, to be fair, it's probably to her credit that Abbott lasted... For two, nearly two years, right? I mean, I, he probably would have been gone in a month otherwise. Yeah, and she got him into the like into the job as well. Like, she did an amazing job pretending to be Tony Abbott so that Tony Abbott could win. She deserves the credit. She deserves. I don't mm. quite understand why if Peter Credlin was really the prime minister, he named that first cabinet, which only had the one female member. Do you remember Julie Bishop, uh, who was yeah. there because she was the deputy? Do you think he basically said, "If I can't have Peter in the cabinet?" in a sort of Scott Morrison-style multiple roles, I'm not having any woman. No, yeah. he did. He, they did show an old clip of him saying that he was very disappointed that the cabinet only had one woman. Sure. As if that wasn't his choice. It's, it must, look, John, I, I don't know whether you've ever tried to, to operate a, a meritocratic process and be entirely fair and say, oh, no, what a pity there are no women. That's what happened to Tony. It was, I mean, that's why he had to be a minister for women. He didn't want to be. He knew from the cabinet process, John, that there was a yeah. terrible dearth of senior women in the, in the Liberal Party, and the best way to fix that was for him to be the minister for women. He stepped up where no woman was allowed to. Yep, and look what's happened now. There are at least like a handful, right? Um, that's all thanks to I Tony. Sh- he doesn't get the credit. But there was also another big focus of the lies that Abbott told about the first budget where just before the election he announced no cuts at all and no higher taxes and then immediately went back on that. And that did lead to a massive revelation about um, Wyatt Roy. And I said what we should kind of do is what we in Queensland call do a Peter Beattie. Front up, say, this is what we've got to do. I'm, you know, I'm sorry that this is the case and, and get about fixing it, which the public really respects that honesty and directness. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, the Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, saw that as a very personal attack, a very visceral and angry response. He sort of smashed his hands on the table and said, we can't admit that we fucking lied. There's been no fucking lies in this. That's extraordinary. I talked about this actually recently on the podcast, John. Peter Beattie uh, constantly went up and said, it's all my fault. I'm sorry. I had to do this. I have no, I'm, oh, don't blame them. Blame me. And people loved him for it. Albo could have done that. Yeah. With a but stage no three. Wonder, yeah, it's like Albo... That was a weird thing where Albo just refused to take it. Where it'd be like, oh yeah, things are different now. We made a bad call, we're changing it. Boom, good. But we can also see from there why Wyatt Roy is no longer a politician in federal politics. He didn't understand what Albo does, which is that you can never be, like, you can never just front up. That's so funny. Obviously, like, Wyatt Roy, just an amazing character, clearly shown from this. And he wouldn't try to get one over anyone. Also, congratulations to Wyatt Roy, who recently announced that he is the head of the new head of innovation at Neom, working on the line. I know, this is our favourite thing we've ever talked about in the podcast. I, I, was, I didn't know if you were aware of that, because I was going to mention it. You might have heard the multiple episodes we've done about the Saudi plan. So I think it's 150 kilometres, the, the skyscraper yeah. they're building in the desert, all in a straight line. Wyatt Roy is running that. And when it fucks up and the construction goes incredibly over time and uh, there are human rights failings, White Roy is going to get in front of the cameras and say, it's all my fault. I'm very sorry. I had no idea of knowing that a Saudi-run massive project would involve human rights violations. I'm so shocked. Anyway, there you go. He's got a big job. And uh, funny, he was, he was a, wasn't he a teenager at the time he was in the Abbott government? 
Yeah, no wonder he was so naive to think that federal politicians would be honest with their constituents. How funny. Okay. Glad that Wyatt's um, come out of the woodwork, though. Good on you, Wyatt. You should come on the podcast and tell us about Neil. I'm sure it won't be at all creepy. <laughs> that could be the next sponsor for the podcast. Oh, so good. All right. Love it. Well, there you go. Good to hear from Wyatt, if not Tony Abbott. What else happened in the now, Abbott episode, John? The, the other obvious big thing was that there was a leadership spill against Tony Abbott. Yes. And... Um, the, le- the main revelation from the leadership spill was that Tony Abbott's plan to stop the spill from happening was calling up Scott Morrison the night before, inviting him to his office, and offering him the role of deputy leader. Wow. Like, wanting Scott Morrison to challenge Julia Bishop for the role. And again, something that monumental of a fact, you need the great analysis of the people who were there. So here is Scott Morrison's main takeaway. I went back to my office with a friend and... I had a curry that night. <laughs> Classic ScoMo. Right yeah. on brand. So, okay, so Tony Abbott's solution to the fact that he uh, that the Liberal Party was about to elect an empty chair instead of him as leader, and this is because I think Turnbull's a minister, so he didn't want to run against, he didn't want to show his hand initially, right, um, was to go to Scott, was to dump the one woman that he had and to go to Scott Morrison, the man who famously, subsequently, as I'm sure is, is revealed in the Turnbull episode, you don't trust if there's a leadership coup in the wind, yeah. right? So this was, sorry, to clarify, this was the second spill, not the chair spill. Okay, this so this the- is one with actually actually got rid of um yeah he's also yeah but his plan didn't make any sense because the reason he chose scott morrison was because scott morrison was helping turnbull with the knifing right and he was helping him do all the numbers and it's like but why would scott like scott morrison wanting to get rid of you he would still be the deputy leader if you're gone anyway yes (laughs) because like that would just be hey the person you want to become prime minister do you want to be his deputy absolutely basically saying hey scott why don't you knife me in a few months right so this is after he'd already lost the empty chair a point at which everybody understood that it was terminal apparently except peter credlin Mm. right well that's where well that's where peter credlin has an amazing idea of pretending that she was no longer running the show how funny Okay. Instead of just not running the show anymore. Now, I think it's time we should move over to the Malcolm Turnbull era. Yes, okay, let's just take a moment. After this, the Turnbull era, brief and glorious as it was. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Chaser Report. Now with extra whispers. Okay, John, so this is episode two, the Turnbull. Uh, mm-hmm. How long was it? It was a couple of years. It felt, felt like a blink of an yeah. eye in hindsight. Yeah, it was a bit of a short run, and he bragged about how much he did in that short run a lot. But. I want to make something clear to the audience right now, because I haven't made many jokes about knifings yet. And that's because, as Turnbull described in this episode, these aren't just leadership spills. They are something far worse. That this is madness. He agreed it was madness. I said this is terrorism. Terrorism? Terrorism! Malcolm Turnbull is a terrorist! I remember hearing uh, this phrase from Turnbull at the time, not acknowledging that he had done it himself, right, to Brendan Nelson and to Tony Abbott. Yeah, well, obviously... Well, you know, terrorists know when terrorists are being terrorists. <laughs> so he could tell that there was terrorism afoot against him. Look, once you've been part of a terrorist plot, John, uh, you can smell it in the air, can't you? How fascinating. So in this exercise of introspection, I gather that all that they've done the ABC is basically 
it's the enough rope trick, right? Keep the cameras rolling. Yeah. And at some point, Malcolm Turnbull is going to accuse others of terrorism while not acknowledging having done exactly the same thing. Presumably in his, as with the standard narrative, in his view, he was a freedom fighter who liberated Australia from Brendan Nelson and Tony Abbott. Yeah, he he was the hero. He referred to himself as the young hero. Of course. Amazing. Um, so one of the focuses of the Malcolm era was... A client policy called the NEG oh, that yes. never saw the light of day in the House of The worst acronym ever. Like for something you're trying to get people to believe yeah. is it's literally negging. The uh, National Energy Guarantee, wasn't it? Yeah, and peop- like, and there were people in the clips who clearly understood that other people would be like, oh, the NEG, short for negative. And they were like, no, that's not what it means at all. If anyone says that, it's a lie. <laughs> but um, Turnbull made something very clear, which is that they never dropped the NEG. Now, we didn't drop the NEG. People have said we did. We did not drop the neg. We quite specifically said it was government policy, but we were not going to put it into the House this week where we could not be confident that we would get it passed. So it was it was no more than a tactical retreat. Yeah, OK, all right. Look, he wrote an incredibly long book, um, I think it was The Bigger Picture or whatever it's called, presumably also arguing in thousands of pages of detail that he didn't chicken out on the neg. And no, I mean, he just he just postponed it and then never unpostponed it. Yeah, and to be fair to to his colleagues, I think everyone understands that the main reason they dumped him was because he wanted to do stuff on climate. Yeah. So there you go, Malcolm. You were you were dumped for for the right reason in your colleagues' so view. So it turned yeah, it turned out being on the le- on the moderate side of the Liberal Party and beating out Tony Abbott using the conservative vote from the Liberal Party sort of meant that his main supporter base weren't agreeing with him on a lot of issues. No one could have predicted that happening. Well, that was the bizarre thing about the the second Turnbull um, kind of leadership, right? Like the first one, Hmm. he gets rid of Nelson and he tries to use his popularity. And he was very popular uh, at various points. He tries to use his popularity to get up all these moderate things and then he gets knifed by the Conservatives and they put in Tony Abbott. And the second time around, he's like, okay, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make the same mistake as I did last time. I'm going to do a deal with all the Conservatives and I'm going to sign the coalition agreement with the Nationals and agree not to do all these things, not to do same-sex marriage and tread carefully on climate, all these things. And basically cut out cut out the very reasons for his popularity with the electorate, why they put him in in the first place. So he basically yeah. sealed his own doom by trying not to be doomed like last time. So you have to hand it to Malcolm Turnbull. He found a completely different way to be doomed from the beginning of his leadership the second time around. Yeah, he was an innovator in that field of completely screwing up your own politics. <laughs> oh, um, gosh. Now, the other big like focus of the Malcolm Turnbull episode is the allegation from many in the party that Malcolm Turnbull is a two-faced bully. Now, I don't know if this sounds like the Malcolm Turnbull we all know, but also just completely side note, here's a clip of his reaction to finding out that three people are changing away from him, which caused the spill that led to his demise. God, Matthias has put on a lot of weight, you know, since 2018. Ouch! Does that sound like someone who would throw random jabs at people and just try to constantly take shots at them when unnecessary? Gosh, why wasn't Malcolm Turnbull in the new Mean Girls sequel? That's quite one from the Burn book. I mean, we can't all drink Slimming Tea all the time, Malcolm. It is weird because Malcolm Turnbull really tries to paint himself as the victim and everything, but also, like... The ABC didn't try to edit him in a way that makes him look bad because there's a lot of the stuff where it was like the things would be later proven like an hour later in the episode. But I was just like, they're like, oh, he's a bully. And he'd be like, no, I'm not. And then way later, he'd be like, oh, he's gotten fat. 
at one point he got mad about the politician who ran the same-sex marriage stuff within the Liberal Party and said he was ungrateful because Scott, because Malcolm Turnbull took away the final speech of acknowledging who won. So he was like, he was like, oh, we are so ungrateful that he didn't like me taking all the credit for his work. <laughs> Malcolm Turnbull's been running the line that he's the, the father of same-sex marriage in Australia for many, many years now, kind of glossing over the issue that actually uh, he di- he wasn't. He was the father of getting the Australian voters to be the, uh, the ones who yeah. chose same-sex marriage. Well, anyway. Now, before we go into the Scott Morrison years, I want to do a fun quiz with you. Okay. Because obviously all these politicians on Nemesis are perfect sources for information. So I want to see whether you know the truth of what really happened. So I'll ask you a question Ooh. and then give you the source and you need to tell me what they said. Okay. So the first question... According to Malcolm Turnbull, who came up with the idea and orchestrated the plan for Malcolm Turnbull to knife Tony Abbott? Oh, I assume he's not going to take credit for it himself. Um, Scott Morrison? Correct. Really? It was all Scott Morrison. No part of it was <laughs> was Malcolm Turnbull. I can just imagine uh, Malcolm Morrison sitting back going, gee, this. shucks, do you think I've got leadership qualities? Are you sure? You think I'm the obvious man for the job? Really? <laughs> as he, he he did say they had a meeting. So Scott Morrison described it as a meeting of going, oh, I think the budget call was a bad call from Tony Abbott. And Malcolm was like, oh, he was basically pushing me to be the next leader. How extraordinary. And he was basically forcing it. And then he did all of it. And Scott Morrison was like, no. And it's weird because... It may, it's weird to believe Scott Morrison on something. Well, this is this is the man who constantly went during the period on Q and A with his leather jacket, right? This mm. is this is the guy who's basically yeah. branding himself as as much as he could, and and the feud between Abbott and Turnbull is just it goes back to university. It's hilarious. The yeah. fact that um, Abbott gave and presumably Credlin gave Turnbull the job of slowly dismantling the NBN when he was the mm. guy who you know was involved in Aussie Mail and getting the internet there in the first place in Australia. What an amazingly slow burn shit, sha- uh, shit sandwich that was. Yeah. And so from there, next um, slow burn shit sandwich, question two. Yep. What was the downfall of, Tur- of Malcolm Turnbull's prime ministership according to Barnaby Joyce? According to Barnaby Joyce. Oh, well, Barnaby Joyce is a massive narcissist. I'm going to assume that it was uh, the bonk ban. Very, very close. Specifically, he said that it was because he criticised Joyce publicly for the affair with the staffer. Oh, wow. So it was that part. Oh, so it wasn't the ban. It was a bit where he said um, Barnaby shouldn't have impregnated his staffer. I mean, it's kind of, you know, office OH OH&S 101, isn't it? Mm. Generally, the boss doesn't approve of you knocking up one of your staff when you hadn't disclosed the relationship at all. Well, uh, Joyce did admit at one point that he was approached about it. And he just lied. <laughs> of course. That's, it's like he was none of that. I remember him being all self-righteous about it now. Yeah, it was none of your business. Yeah. None of your business who I have babies with who's in my office. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of the bonk ban, according to Barnaby Joyce, who came up with the bonk ban and why? Oh, uh, I reckon, well, it's it's a highly kind of religious. It was really grounded. I remember T- Turnbull quite uncharacteristically seemed very kind of moralistic about it. And you got to remember that, I mean, part of this is just the whole affair and, and all that, which is, you know, in his private life. But then it's also a bit, but it's his employee, right? This is the thing. It's someone who works for him as a public servant. And generally, that's not a sort of pimping role, right? Generally, the public servants aren't hired for the sexual convenience of the boss. I reckon it's, it's Morrison. I reckon Morrison's the one who went, you can't have an affair. Okay, and why? Because Hillsong. Okay, you're one for two there. It, according to him, it was Scott Morrison. Yes. 
but the reason was to sabotage Malcolm Turnbull. Really? Yeah. So Malcolm Turnbull claims that he created the bog band, and Scott Morrison claims that Malcolm Turnbull created the bog band, and he just loved it because of the Hillsong stuff. How funny. But no, Barnaby Joyce knows the truth. It was a secret plot to oust Barnaby Joyce so that Scott Morrison could become Prime Minister. You know what? At this point, I believe anything of these guys. Yeah. And um, so, well, like, there was a whole thing as well during the Malcolm Turnbull, like, Malcolm Turnbull stuff where Turnbull claimed that, like, Scott Morrison rigged the first spill that Malcolm Turnbull called hmm. so that Turnbull would win, so that Scott Morrison could then come in a couple of days later and win it all. Despite the fact that no one in the party room, according to everyone else in the party, knew that Malcolm Turnbull was going to call that spill. He brought it on very quickly, didn't he, to try and nip it in the bud. He yeah. was very brave about it. So clearly Scott Morrison has psychic powers and knew that Malcolm Turnbull was going to do that and then organised a giant plot so that he Turnbull would win the spill so that Turnbull would then lose a spill later on. This is the thing I, I'm most curious to know about, John, you, have, after you've mm. watched all the episodes. All this Machiavellian shit and knifing and backstabbing and all that, are any of them actually good at it? We learnt during the uh, the Labor version, uh, during the killing season, that no, they're absolutely shit at it, right? Yeah, they, no, they're, ter- they, they're all did terrible jobs with they it. They knife a leader to try and win an election and it massively backfires almost immediately as she says, moving yeah. forwards 30 times the one press conference and barely wins the election. Um, this is the thing, and I get it from the Labor right as well, with this whole kind of Machiavellian whatever it takes thing. It's one thing if it works, but basically isn't it? aren't they just all incredibly bad at, at plotting coups? Like the CIA wouldn't hire any of them. Well, apparently, like for one of the plans, they went out and bought a projector and started projecting it on a wall, which then meant that everyone found out what the plan was. Also because they did it in the office across from Malcolm Turnbull's main <laughs> like person, Chris Pine. Wow. But so, um, the last question. According to Scott Morrison, who is not to blame for him going to Hawaii during the bushfires? Scott Morrison. Okay, play the clip. As Prime Minister, you don't blame your staff. Well, that's generous. I mean, oh, didn't he end up pinning the whole thing on Jen and the girls, actually, in hindsight? Well, yeah, and that's not blaming the staff. Okay, fair enough. Good on you, Scott. And to be fair to Scott, he did admit at that point that he could have handled the media part better. Sure, it was the optics. That he was a bit clumsy with the media, was his um, phrasing of it. So, you know, no regret for going to Hawaii, just he could have hit it better from the media. Sure. Um, so now we should move into the Scott years. Yes. And so, obviously, uh, the one of the main focuses was the Hawaii trip. Um, and we found out that fucking off to Hawaii during bushfires is not the only problem with what he did. There was one other thing as well. Ted says, yeah, well, he's hopped on a Jetstar. And I said, right, are you two, enough. Number one, half of Australia's on fire. He wouldn't be going to Hawaii. Two, no prime minister of this country flies Jetstar. <laughs> that actually, what? you know what? That's probably the best thing. That's the thing I most admire about Scott Morrison, about mm. his whole prime ministership, is that he didn't use the official jet. He just travelled on a Jetstar flight to Hawaii like every other bogan from the Shire. That, that is worthy of kudos, ScoMo. Well done. Yeah, that guy makes a great point as well. What's a Prime Minister doing on a Jetstar flight? You'd want to go with a slot, like one of the least reliable airlines. That's true. And I mean, obviously a massive security risk as well. Right? With, with the AFP travelling next to him, what the hell happened with that? I, also, I wonder how it got leaked. I wonder how it got leaked before he made it to Hawaii, that he was on a plane to Hawaii. Well, presumably when he was just every a other flight. person on the Jetstar flight was like, ScoMo, 
Mate, what are you doing? You got a selfie with the guy. What a perfect plan. Do you reckon he paid? Do you reckon he paid for meals? I reckon he didn't. No. I reckon he not. snuck on a bag of chips from Macca's. We know he loves his Macca's. Like there was a part as well where Malcolm Temple was like, "You start like it was like, why did no one tell him no? Because he was like, because he made the point that Peter Cradlin and his chief of staff both would have been like, what the fuck are you doing? Do not get on that flight. But clearly Scott Morrison's team was like, ah, I reckon you can do it. Well, I mean, Scott Morrison reckoned he could do a lot of things when he was prime minister, mm-hmm. including everybody's job for them. So they barely touched RoboDad at all. Yeah. Like they had one throwaway line during the Tony Abbott episode and that was it. So the other big Scott Morrison thing was obviously his um, issue with women which all the women in the Liberal Party denied happened, but clearly they at least admit there was a perception oh. that he had a problem with women. Well, this is good for for Turnbull, isn't it? He had the the least mm. problem of women of those three prime ministers. I, I guess yes. that's something. Be, the absolute low bar of being less sexist than Tony Abbott and Scott Morrison. Um, Congratulations, Malcolm. Put that in your next book. During this part, Scott Morrison did admit that he made one mistake during his entire prime ministership. Just the one. What do you reckon that mistake was? Oh, gosh, that's really hard. I reckon it was the the, the time he didn't cook the chicken in the curry. <laughs> no, I think he'll never admit that. Um, uh, well, something it was, that involves women. I, I don't... I, I'm absolutely baffled by this. It was something he said. He's as a father speech. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Now, clearly, Dom, what's wrong with that speech? Uh, he didn't have the two girls standing next to him on, uh, at the podium. Uh, you're honestly not. You're on the right track of it not being what's wrong with the speech. So here's the clip. Do you understand why many women found that statement a, a little concerning? I, I didn't at the time. I, I was quite puzzled by it, and I actually regret saying it because, frankly, probably I should never have disclosed what Jenny and I talk about. And I, you know, I didn't want to bring Jenny into that. I was just. It was a very vulnerable and raw moment. Yeah. The problem with that speech is bringing up Jenny. I mean, it wasn't a because, good bit. <laughs> but now, <laughs> yeah, there was the, the private part of the... Co- bring up the private conversation part is the only flaw with that. With saying that the problem with covering up an alleged sexual assault is that you might upset the person's dad. Yeah. No, there was, wasn't much good about that. But it's certainly... Look, I think if what he takes from all of this is that he shouldn't constantly bring his wife and daughters uh, mm. as, a, as a justification for all the things that he did... Fair point. And he, to be fair, he's never used them to defend Engadine. I think we've all learned some very valuable lessons about politicians here that you you just wouldn't get without watching like over four and a half hours of politicians talking to the ABC. And clearly the problem, I think, with politics is us. You know, Scott Morrison kept talking about how like the um, shooting, uh, we didn't shoot the women and the Malcolm's a great guy, a heavy support was all just the public misinterpreting things. I see. And obviously we misinterpreted Peter Credlin's role in running the party. We misinterpreted Malcolm Turnbull with um, him taking credit for everything and taking pot shots at people. Where the problem? Well, in a way, John, there's something to that. I was reading this morning. This is the fourth time the ABC's done this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it started with Labor in power and they got Hawke and Keating absolutely just smashing each other. The Howard years, that was the one st- moment of stability in my entire life, right? I'm 47. The only time this country's ever had a, a moment when there wasn't just massive knifings going on was during the Howard period. But then during the killing season and this, yeah, we keep electing people who are sociopaths, who backstab each yeah. other all the time. What are we doing, John? 
Why can't we? Why can't we vote for people who actually have some sort of loyalty and kindness to each other? Or do those people just not become politicians? Those are the ones who get backstabbed. Oh, you, you, you don't get anywhere by helping people. You know what this reminds me? The, the most insightful thing that either you've brought to us for the, from the whole of Nemesis mm-hmm. is the little moment on a ballot paper when somebody said for Brendan. <laughs> Nice guys finished last. Also, if any listeners want to read an actual like review of the entire series, not the clips, but also just like actually thought out stuff. We'll be um but while you're listening to this right now, there will be a review up on the Chaser website that you can read of a full on breakdown of the series. Thank you, John, for your service. In in many ways it exceeds yeah. several of those prime ministers at this point. I was hoping that me watching terrible stuff would stop when I became editor. Nope, it's the sort of promotion <laughs> where you, you still have to do the shit work. I'm sorry, John. John Domenico there, editor of The Chaser. You can read his review of Nemesis at chaser.com.au. Our gear is from Road. We're part of the Iconoclast Network and we'll catch you next time. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.